0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, this is Note to Self, and I'm your host Peyton Sarton. From Q and As and breakup tips to simply navigating every stage of life, Note to Self is a space to get messy, explore new perspectives, and ultimately empower yourself and others. Grab some wine or a mocktail, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Note to Self. We're doing a solo episode today. And I was kind of going back and forth on whether or not I wanted to share like a full life update on this episode or wait to tell you all about Stagecoach when my friend Maddie comes on the podcast because we're actually recording together tomorrow. And I was with her at Stagecoach, which I feel like I'm going to I'm going to wait on the Stagecoach thing because I have so many stories for you guys. It was like a little bit feral. There was also some work involved, just like so, so, so much fun. And I'm excited for y'all to meet Maddie because you've probably seen her on my Instagram a little bit if you follow me, but I feel like she's just one of those people that I have recently become friends with, like, you know, in my late 20s so far, who I feel like is probably gonna be in my life for like a while. So I'm excited to bring her on and she has such a crazy story to share with y'all. So. We'll we'll wait on the stagecoach stuff uh, and I'll record that tomorrow. So it'll be in next week's episode. But I can tell y'all about my recent trip to Austin. I went to Dear Media IRL. Uh, I had the opportunity to speak on some panels with some really, really cool people. As many of you know, also, I am from Texas. So so many of my friends live in Austin namely my guy friends. And you'll know I'm a girl's girl through and through, but I have a couple guy friends on this planet that I would take a bullet for as well as my girlfriends. So most of them live in Austin and I rarely get the opportunity to see them. So the night before the day of panels and stuff like that, I ended up staying out until like five in the morning, which is not smart because I had to be like up and at them and ready to like talk about stuff earlier in the morning. So anyway, that was such a, it was both a disaster and also amazing. Like, I feel like I didn't mean to stay out so late on Friday night, but like a new person would walk in and join us or join the group. And like, it'd be like 2am and I'm like, well, shit, now I got to stay and like talk to this person because I haven't seen them in forever. So it was so fun. But the whole weekend was so jam packed with like work and play, which I also got to go out with like a lot of members of the dear media team after the whole day of panels which was fun because i can tell that everyone who like works behind the scenes at dear media who was doing so much to make that day happen was just like relieved and they were like thank like thank god it happened and thank god it's over and now we can like relax so that was really cool i also got to meet a ton of different like hosts of other shows that are located other places and again like i said be on panels with a couple people I did the social media panel with JC and Chelsea from the What We Said podcast, which is a great podcast. And then with my friend Kenzie from the I Love You So Much podcast. And then I did a whole relationship panel where I opened up a little bit more about single life. Everyone on the relationship panel besides myself is married. So that was an interesting <laughs> panel to be on and kind of get picked out a little bit and like put on the spot a little bit. It was It was really fun. So that was such a great weekend. But we're back from Austin and we're hitting the ground running this morning, or I guess not this morning, this afternoon, late afternoon, recording a new episode for this week. So today I want to talk about a subject that's very near and dear to my heart. And I've actually been meaning to cover this topic like around Veterans Day. And I keep forgetting to do it. As many of you know, I grew up in a military family. And the further I get away from the military life and the more I like, you know, I guess, grow up, but also do things like get in relationships and do more deep diving on my own mental state, go to therapy, things like that. I'm realizing the good and the bad ways that growing up in a military family affected me. Mostly good. And I got a lot of, I guess I just got a lot of perspective growing up in that situation. This episode where we're going to focus on what growing up in a military family taught me about life is kind of going off of a blog post I did a few years ago when I was a blogger about the same topic. And in the blog post, I remember saying, like, you know, the I talked to my dad about this in reflection of, you know, to write that blog post. And he was telling me, like, the older you get, I think you're going to realize more and more things that being in a military family gave you. And he's so right. So I've added to it. I had a list of like six things, I think, in that post. And now I have like eight things um, to talk about with you guys. So it'll be we're going to talk about like the nitty gritty of the military a little bit. Uh, We also kind of did that in my episode with my dad, who was on my podcast. Um, But I also just want to kind of like share the perspective that it gave me. It's not necessarily like here's the backstory and history of my life. It's more like here's what happened real quick. And here's the perspective it gave me and kind of what I gained from that experience, so a little backstory. I was born on Tyndall Air Force Base in Panama City, Florida. My dad and my mom were somewhat young. My mom was twenty one. My dad was twenty five, which I feel like in l a when I talk to people about that, they literally like gasp in horror. But in Texas, it's relatively I wouldn't say normal at this point, but back then it was kind of normalish. My dad had, Just gotten out of uh, pilot training and he had his first, like he was stationed first at Panama City where I was born at Tyndall Air Force Base. So two years later, we moved to Eglin Air Force Base in Destin, Florida. And a year after that, my sister was born on that Air Force Base. And then we moved back to Panama City, Florida and stayed there for a little bit. And then we moved to Houston, Texas. We lived in the suburbs of Houston when I was eight. And My dad switched planes. He was before he was flying a fighter jet called the f-15 and then he switched planes to flying the f-16 because We were gonna be sent overseas in the f-15 and kind of when they send you over there you kind of go like you do two years in Japan two years in Germany and My parents were itching to get back to Texas, which is where my entire family's from. It's where both of them are from so While we were living in Florida, my dad flew a couple different missions over the Middle East. A lot of it had to do with like surveillance. So it was Operation Northern Watch and Operation Southern Watch in different parts of the Middle East. So he was gone not as much as like if you're a Marine or something, because the deployments are actually less time. I would say it's usually four months-ish, maybe a little bit more. And once we moved to Houston, it was right after 9-11. So my dad had joined the Air National Guard, hoping to be home a little bit more. But right after 9-11, he actually did, I think, two or three more deployments, and that was actually into a war zone. He was in Balad in Iraq, and he would go there for a few months at a time. So growing up, I had, you know, we moved to a couple different places, and this is also before, you know, social media was happening a lot of the time. So I had a lot of, you know, really great friends that I had to leave time and time again, sending a parent into a war zone, especially as the oldest child who was kind of looked upon as like an alternate parent from a really young age, it can be extremely chaotic. And I guess I didn't really realize until later, probably when I was around 12, when my dad's last deployment was, the actual dangers of it all. But to me, when I was younger, it just seemed like normal. I just thought everyone had This life. And that's obviously not true. But a lot of responsibility was put on me from an early age to help my family, to help my little siblings. My mom was actually like bedridden pregnant when my dad was on his last deployment because my little brother is almost 12 years younger than me. So I took a lot of responsibility at that age, at 11 ish, to to take care of my little sister, to walk her to school, to make sure my mom was okay, because she literally couldn't get up. (laughs) She was having a miserable pregnancy with my little brother. So when I look back at it, my life has been great and amazing and wonderful. But sometimes my therapist has pointed out, like, are you okay? (laughs) And I'm like, I think so. (laughs) I don't know. I kind of feel like I was built for uh, my mom and I were just talking about this in Austin, because she was my plus one to the Dear Media in real life. I was telling her that my therapist and I have talked about this. I was built for chaos. I was built for when we need to focus and when, we need to lock in. And when everyone needs help and everyone needs someone to rely on and everyone needs someone to lead in a situation like that, I was built for chaos. So, or I guess instability. So when I have stability and I have lack of chaos, I start getting really anxious because I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? We're going to figure out how to how to deal with that at some point in my life. But I mean, I'm sure plenty of you can, that resonates with some of you. I think some of you who have followed me for a while have actually reached out to tell me that you have a similar situation. You don't have to be from a military family to feel that way, of course, but I think that that's that's how that happened to me. That's why I start kind of freaking out if there's not chaos or if there isn't stress, which feeds my addiction to stress, which is another topic I really need to cover. On note to self. Once I find the right guests for it, we're going to do it. I am always trying to do right by my body. So when it comes to my hair and scalp health, finding a product that actually works and is made with clean ingredients always seems like a trade-off. But with Vegamore, I get products that are made with clean ingredients and give me visibly healthy hair and scalp, which is so important, by the way. The scalp, do not, do not skimp on the scalp. With Vegamore, I am able to have visibly thicker, fuller, shinier, longer hair, all without the harsh ingredients. All Vegamore products are 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Vegamore's bestsellers include the Grow Revitalizing Shampoo and Conditioner, which I switch off with using their Hydrate Hydrate and Repair Shampoo and Conditioner every other week, or really just depending on what my hair needs that week. My ultimate favorite product is the Hydrate Deep Moisture Repair Mask. I've talked about this a million times i use it weekly it has completely transformed the softness and feel of my hair and i just can't get enough of it i tell everyone about it literally (laughs) i've just started to incorporate their famous grow hair serum which i use every single day i love that i can use it on damp or dry hair the key with this one is consistency to help your hair and scalp be their absolute best fun fact vegamore sells one bottle of the grow serum every 15 seconds on their website that's how good this stuff is what's really great is vegamore has value kits like the grow essentials kit where you get to try more than one amazing product at great savings. When you sign up for a monthly subscription, you save more and you never run low on the products you need to take care of your hair. Give yourself the hair you never thought you could have with Vegamore. For a limited time, note to self listeners get 20% off their first order by going to vegamore.com slash note to self and use code note to self at checkout. That's V E G A M O U R.com slash note to self code note to self to save 20% off your first order. Bigamore, V E G A M O U R dot com slash note to self, code note to self. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the host of Work Party, a podcast for ambitious women looking to create and cultivate the career of their dreams. Work Party is paving the way for a new generation of women, women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. Every Wednesday, we bring in leading female powerhouses for real talk and BS-free advice on building your business. You'll hear from female founders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, creatives, and so many other badass ladies. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Then tune into Work Party, the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. Today, I wanted to talk about really more focusing on the good things that growing up in a military family gave me just because I'm really proud of that time in my life, though, you know, it wasn't really, I didn't really have a choice. Like my dad had a choice to join the military and I respect that choice so much. My mom had a choice to marry a man and have a child with a man who was in the military. That was her choice. But when you're born into that situation, it's just kind of what it's basically all, you know, I didn't get to choose that life. Basically it chose me. And then you're just put in a position to have to handle it. Especially, like I said, as the oldest child with a parent who goes into combat, it's just a very unique and specific experience that yes, has given me (laughs) a little bit of like lowercase T trauma, but overall has probably given me a lot more. And I, I continue to a lot more good. And I continue to learn more about that as I get older. As long as I can, like, kind of debunk or, like, kind of go through the more, quote, negative things it gave me. It's given me much more than it took, you know? So, anyway, I have a couple things here. Let's see. How many things did I write down? I have eight. Yes, I have eight. That's correct. Okay. So, the first thing I learned growing up in a military family, especially in the fighter pilot community in the Air Force... Respect is about what you do versus how much money you make. Because let's be honest, they're paid for shit in the military, which sucks, especially watching my dad who got a degree in aerospace engineering and then mastered in aeronautical science, like went to school forever for this. And you watch someone like literally risk their life and you give up your life for this job, which obviously he wanted to do. He thought it was so cool. The pay is is not. It isn't great. okay? so we weren't living like this luxurious lifestyle for a very long time. In my formative years, we had the things that we needed and the military does help a lot. You can live on base for free. You can shop at the commissary for discounted prices. You can shop at the BX, which is like a little bit like a Sears almost or like, like a department store. And there's no sales tax because that goes to the military. And it is a little bit cheaper. So the military is so helpful to its members for sure. But that being said, the money is not wonderful. But respect in the military is about how you show up and what you do. And it's definitely earned, not like money, but in an effort and in hard work, and in, like I said, again, showing up, not backing down. Also, it's a very competitive environment in like the fighter pilot community because, especially with the the plane my dad flew at first the F15 and in this episode that I did with him he tells us about a lot about like like flight school and like going through everything and like there's like 40 people in in the school with you and you have to be the number one top slot to get a fighter plane and then on top of that to fly with the F15 at that time was incredibly difficult to obtain that airplane. They didn't make as many of them as they did the rest of the jets. And you just had to be really, really good. So he was kind of at like the top of the top of fighter pilots. And that level of competition is just what feeds him. So of course, it trickled down to my family. And we had this sign that my dad took from one of our squadrons that we had, you know, been with for a little while. And it's a sign that him and the team with like briefings and debriefings would walk under every day. And it said, did he learn more than you today? So we had that sign really big in our game room. And so, and my dad would always like bring it up about how like you need to be pushing forward and working hard and trying to, I don't even know to be competitive because he was trying to relate it to our normal lives, but to, to always be pushing towards an end goal and putting in effort and working really hard. That was really valued in my family. And of course, For me, now that I'm, you know, my I'm 29, I realized that I also need to kind of balance that out with some rest and I don't need to take it so seriously. But it did teach me from a young age to be like on my shit and to focus on my goals. And it gave me a lot of like motivation and it gave me like something to do when I was young. I always had something that I was working towards. I was a gymnast for a really long time and I threw like my heart and soul into that sport because to me, that's what life was. That was you, you go do something that really challenges you and you show up in that way to gain, you know, self-respect and to gain the respect of your peers. So it was, it's a very pure way to look at respect, I think, especially when you think about how most of society views respect. A lot of the time it is about like monetary gain, which I can get with. Y'all know I like my nice things. But from a young age, I realized that respect a lot of the time for us was predicated on your effort and showing up and doing your best, really. And I think that was a great way to learn self-respect and respect for others versus only looking at it through more of like a capitalist, like let's just make as much money as possible kind of thing. Number two kind of has to do with representation how important it is to see like women doing these amazing things people of color doing these amazing things and how each community we want to see people like us doing you know wonderful amazing things because then you know we can or our children can see themselves in that space as well so for me it kind of connects to that because I saw my father my whole life who was just like my normal in my eyes dorky dad who like wears toe shoes and works out in these like weird ways. Like my dad is like the quintessential dork. Like he literally is. Like, he's he's like any other dad, but he also flew twice the speed of sound <laughs> in a fighter jet. My whole life F-15s go so crazy fast. It's actually insane, but he was doing things like flying over a war zone, going through air to air combat. They made movies about this. I mean, freaking top gun is a famous movie for a reason. And my dad had that job and watching my dad do that kind of thing and then come home and sit with us and like be a dork and tell dad jokes at the dinner table i was just like from a young age i was like oh so i can do whatever i want like nothing really has seemed crazy out of the you know out of the realms of reality for me to do because i watched my dad do something that kind of seems impossible but he is so normal he's just a guy so for me that kind of you know, representation of someone in my family who I think is so normal doing something so amazing that other people respect so much. I was like, you know what? Any goal that I have isn't that wild. And that's like the number one step in accomplishing a crazy goal is like thinking that you can do it and internalizing that and not like overwhelming yourself. Or I guess it really just comes down to believing in yourself and watching my dad do that made me believe in myself quite a lot, actually. Today's episode is brought to you by Hatch. I have been laser focused on getting quality sleep in my life, specifically during the week when I have like real control over my schedule, because I know sleep is so foundational to overall health and well-being. Plus, I'm just a tired girl. I'm always I'm always tired. Make space for rest in your life with the Hatch Restore 2. Hatch Restore 2 is your new bedtime sleep companion, inspired by nature, backed by sleep science and designed to take care of you from sunset to sunrise. Tap into your circadian rhythm with a gradual sunrise alarm that wakes you gently each morning. I have often been one to start my day with a crazy, loud, obnoxious alarm that gives me so much anxiety. I've recently checked it with myself and been like, you know, just why? Why are we doing this? It's literally, it's like a weird form of torture. I don't know. Why am I starting my day in a panic attack? Restore 2's gentle sunrise alarm has changed the game. The Restore 2 is also a game changer for before sleep practices. Establish a phone-free routine that helps you break your late-night scrolling habit, which is something I'm really trying to work on because I love my late-night scrolling, but I know it's not good for me. And ease into sleep with a sunset paired with sleep stories, guided meditations, and more. I need to have something playing softly in the background while I fall asleep usually, so this is pretty key for me. Plus, a guided meditation playing while you drift off to sleep is giving just mature wellness girl energy. She's peaceful. She's zen. She's zen. Restore helps you carve out little moments for rest in your day so you can create simple, healthy sleep rituals that you'll look forward to. Sleep is so important for your health and creating a calm ritual that you enjoy before bed makes it feel extra luxe. My favorite Restore 2 feature is the wind down feature with the red light at night. Also, aesthetically speaking, the Restore 2 is really chic looking in comparison to basically every other alarm clock I've ever seen. So if you're interested in improving your sleep and establishing a healthy morning and evening routine surrounding your sleep, head to Hatch.co and get free expedited shipping on your new Restore 2 so you can start feeling well-rested ASAP. That's Hatch, H-A-T-C-H, .co, C-O. All right. So number three, being a military brat, as many say, taught me that intensity for things and passion fuel, everything. And I've talked about this a little bit because it comes out in like the people that I date in my life. But I don't know anyone in my family who has a nine to five. So that's never been modeled for me to go out and find a job so you can make money. I specifically with the military thing, specifically with my dad, that's not a job you normally just like you don't just like fall into it. You know what I mean? You you gun for that job and you like you would literally die for it. You know what I mean? And that in his situation. And I saw that intensity for a career and the passion for a career really young. And for me, I've always thought about career in that way rather than I'm, you know, working a job to live. I'm I'm living to work my job. And it's a it's a passion. And I kind of go for people like that in general, especially it comes out of my dating experience like. The guys I've dated thus far have been athletes or military men because there's something about it that's really familiar to me, not only in like the chaos or maybe the uncertainty, but in the way that they commit their whole life to this thing. So when I first started working as an influencer, I was willing to not only take the risk, but I also changed around my entire life. To in order to make this job work. So instead of staying in Texas and being with my family and my friends, which would have been so nice because I miss them so much all the time. I came to L.A. where I knew that I could like see the brands that I needed to meet. I could I could make this job work the quick, like the most quickly that I could in Los Angeles. And in comparison to New York, LA was like cheaper and I liked the sun. So I chose LA, but I literally was just like, I'm going to go, like, we're going for it. It's all or nothing. And I am really happy that I did that because it's gotten me to the place I am now. And I'm really happy with my career and all of those things. But it taught me that I don't need to just go find a nine to five. I also got really lucky in a lot of ways, but I didn't need to go find a nine to five because in my brain, I didn't even think to go find a nine to five job. I definitely wanted something that I could risk a lot to build. And the risk was kind of like a high. It was really fun. It was like very motivating, scary, of course, because of it, you know, for me in my head, there wasn't an option of it not working out. And I I credit that mindset to how I grew up, to watching my dad fly fighter jets my whole life. And the other men in my family as well, they just do jobs that aren't necessarily quote normal. So for me to go down a career path that wasn't normal, quote unquote, it didn't seem like an issue for me. It just seemed like that's just what you do, right? That's just what happens. One thing I really respect for you know military members and military families in general is in specifically the example with my family, my dad sacrificed a lot of his life to be a fighter pilot and military families sacrifice a lot of their life for whoever is in the military to do that job. So I'm always very aware of that when it comes to military families. It's something that it gives me a lot of not only pride, but it it makes me want to reach out and help more military families. I've talked about this on my story, actually. I need to find some really great causes that help military families specifically. Uh, Wounded Warrior Project is a great one, but I want to really find, you know, ways to improve the lives of military families, especially ones that were not as lucky as mine while we were in the military and also after we got out. Because I think that my story and my family's story is more unique. And we got really, really, really lucky to have a family to fall back on after the military happened. And also being a fighter pilot, they just treat you. For military purposes, they treat you really well and it kind of sucks for, you know, other people. But fighter pilots get treated like I used to date a guy who was a Marine. He was like, fighter pilots get treated like they're the freaking princesses of the military. Obviously, they're still in the Middle East. They're still at war. So like there is a level of intensity, but they're just treated like princesses. And their lives within the military, you know, community, they're a little bit different. And then post-military, of course, my dad started flying commercial for the commercial airlines and they make more money that way and my mom's side of the family was really helpful after during and after the military so there are so many families that did not you know not only did they send someone to war who didn't return but post you know military life they didn't have it as as good as i did and i consider myself so insanely lucky so i'm really trying to find more ways to help military families because living that life made me deeply respect these young military families, people who you know, lose someone special to them. So if you'll know anything, please slide in my DMs, let me know, because it's hard to find like, benef- things that benefit, like actually benefit these military families rather than just like these kind of schemey kind of places. I have, have had a hard time figuring out organizations to work with in general for any reason, but also within the military thing. I just don't want to be like scammed, you know? So let me know if you'll know anything about that. But again, watching someone live with such intensity and passion, for something has given me intensity and passion in my life and has taught me to use that intensity and passion to create a career rather than just kind of being pushed around by life or doing whatever's easiest. Like I got to just figure out and decide what I wanted to do and go at it full force because that's the energy I grew up around. So number four, living in a military family taught me adaptability. And from a young age, when we were when I was first, you know, we were living in Florida From that point to when we moved to Fort Worth, Texas, when I was 13, we lived in a number of socioeconomic levels in different places. We were personally in different places. Every time we moved, my parents were getting older. They were getting a little bit more successful. Every couple of years that we moved, it was a different experience. I have gotten to be around and befriend a number of different kinds of people in different parts of, you know, really the Southeast and Texas. And... I feel like it taught me to be adaptable. I feel like I can kind of talk to or relate to anybody. And when it came down to post-college, moving out to LA, not knowing anybody, that whole thing, it didn't seem like a big deal. And I've had people be like, okay, how do you make the big move? How do you do? I'm like, I was making moves my entire life. (laughs) You just do it. And it didn't feel like such a big, crazy thing to do. I just moved to LA and just started my job. And I think that while LA can be really hard to adapt to, just in general, I think that the skill of adaptability um, is something I definitely learned living in a military family, and it also taught me that there are good people everywhere. Like everywhere I moved, I always found new amazing friends as here in LA as well, and it made me not afraid to get up and change my life, get up and change something if I don't like it or if I'm not enjoying it. It, it gave me, you know, the experience of that when I was younger, so it it allowed me to do it more in adulthood. One thing about that that could be not so great is I get really bored easily, which I'm trying to fix. I also will say I've been in LA now for about seven years, and las it's kind of hard to get bored of like a huge city like this. So maybe I'm in the right place. But I found myself after I was like 13, I went to college at 18, And five years in one place in Fort Worth, Texas, I was like, get me the fuck out of here. Then I went to College Station at Texas A&M University for four years. And I was like, now get me the fuck out of here. Like it was just I was almost like overstaying. And I don't know if that's from just anxiety or a sense of adventure or just like me being used to like moving every two to three years and my growing up, you know, formative years. It's probably that one. But it did teach me. Adaptability. It taught me to not not fear change. And it taught me that if I don't like something, I can get up and change it. And even if it's a huge life overhaul, it doesn't scare me. It almost like gives me energy to do that. So number five, growing up in a military family taught me through moving a lot and a lot of change to create a home in myself. And we talk about this a lot on Note to Self. I always mention it. I feel like every episode I talk about some kind of creating a home in myself kind of thing. When Especially again, in your formative years, life is changing so much. You learn that home, for me at least, I learned that home isn't exactly a place. Of course, there's nostalgia. And of course, I like to be attached with some kind of physical place. I will say we grew up going to our ranch house in really Deep East, Texas my entire life. And that's like the place that I have my heights on the wall. And I have memories from when I was really little, and we have the family photos from when I was really little. and, all those really good nostalgic family memories actually happened in Deep East Texas my whole life. But not having a home, quote unquote, to tether to made me build one in myself. So now when I moved somewhere, like I said, my move to L.A., I brought home with me. And also growing up, we moved so much with my, it was my immediate family, my dad, my mom, and then my little sister, because my little brother wasn't born until I was, like I said, 12. So We were our home. That was our constant. And I think it pulled us close together in terms of like, we know everything about each other. There's not a lot of details spared in my family. And it really taught me that, one, you can create a home in yourself and the people that you love. And it's not always about the physical place. And that's helped me a lot of my life in terms of again, adaptability, moving. I feel like I bring that sense of comfort and peace with me everywhere I go, and I don't necessarily need the physical place to feel comfortable and at home in the world because I have myself. All right, number 6. Growing up in a military family taught me that nothing is permanent. And first, you know, like we've said, moving around so much when you are uprooted, especially pre-social media where I like wasn't like DMing my friends or texting my friends even that I had just left. I, we would write letters, though, and like go on Yahoo email. <laughs> but I realized that, you know, nothing is permanent in the sense that if you're having a bad day, it's going to go away. If you're having a bad time, you know, in, in middle school, high school, when there was like mean girls or whatever, I I was able to kind of relax into it because I knew it would end at some point because the permanence wasn't there. And that's been really helpful for me to get over a lot of things because I can realize that and really deeply internalize that things are not permanent. In another sense, nothing being permanent is kind of sad. And it's made me live in a way that I don't, I try not to be too much of like a doomsdayer where I'm like each day, like no day is promised, but I kind of live that way in my life. I've had that pointed out to me by like friends before or, you know, relationships where they're like, Why are you so intense? And I'm like, I think it's because not only the permanence aspect, but also sending someone into a combat zone, someone really important to you in your life and understanding where they're going and what they're doing there and understanding that it's possible they could not return. And really, again, internalizing that from a young age and having to be the older sister who keeps it together, who isn't um, necessarily like emotional or whatever, it, it teaches you that nothing is permanent in a way that you want to live in that moment and be really present. So I always remind myself, no matter where I am, if I'm with my friends or if I'm having a really good day or if I'm having, you know, just a really good time, like right now, I'm having a great time in my career and in my life. And I feel so happy to be in L.A. I have to sit back and be like, really basket it because this isn't permanent either. Just like the bad things aren't permanent. The good things aren't all the time either. So it's really taught me to look at life and attempt to be present. Obviously, we talked about the anxiety it has given me before when we were talking about this earlier. So I have to kind of balance those two and learn how to really be present in the moment. But I think that it gave me a really good perspective of like nothing is promised, nothing is permanent. And it gave me a really deep appreciation for the really good things in my life. And it made me sit back and be like, wow, this is really good. So when I have a really good moment, I really do take that in and I credit, you know, living a military lifestyle. It was a little more chaotic and a little more uncertain with that ability. So number seven, living in a military family, growing up in a military family, especially within the Air Force fighter pilot community, it taught me to or the value of being a part of something that's larger than yourself. So not only did it teach me the value of having a purpose when it comes to being, you know, very supportive, obviously, like U.S. military stuff and all of that. Within the fighter pilot community, it's a really close-knit community. And we had a close-knit group of family, like family friends and stuff like that. And it really did feel like a family. So even if we were moving and moving in different places from, you know, my friends that I had at the previous base, we still had that close-knit community. And even now, like, my dad flies for Southwest Airlines. And sometimes like when I'm going to fly home to Texas, he'll coincide his flight time with me. So then we'll meet at like Love Field or something and he'll come, like he'll pick me up at the gate and we'll go, he'll drive me back to Fort Worth to see family or whatever it is. And every single time we land at Love Field, I get out. There is always someone there who was a part of the F-15 Air Force community, who is also a pilot at Southwest. There's a lot of those actually. And they always see me and my dad and they're always they always call him by his call sign phantom. And we always talk about how I was so little when they saw me last and we were on this base and that base. So the military family really didn't leave us. Also, one of my dad's best friends from college ended up flying f 15s with him. So they will now every month like book like a three day trip together while they'll both fly (laughs) and just like have a bros weekend flying, you know, the plane to and fro everywhere in the US. So the military family didn't. Leave us at all. We're still in contact with a lot of people that we met in that group. So, being a part of a team like that, being a part of a family like that, it really made me want to surround myself with people I really love and respect and also like hold space for them and represent them well and really care for them and put myself, you know, on the line for them. I watch my dad do that all the time. Really, he said, when you go to war or wherever, and I've heard this from the guy I did who was a Marine as well. You're there for your team. Like the the mission becomes really small. You are there to protect the people flying to your left and flying to your right. And they're very obviously it's a very intense situation you're entering into. So it bonds them a lot. And it it just gave me this need or desire and I guess value for being a part of something bigger than yourself, which is one thing I love about having the platform that I have and the audience that I have and seeing you know, like-minded people come together and hopefully leading in a certain way to bring like-minded people together. It feels like a big family. And I really value that about the job I currently have. And I think that it's a very important part of like human connection to, you know, we all have a desire for this. And I feel really lucky to have been a part of it in a family first and then been a part of it in the military family, because it really is such a special, unique experience to go through. And I'm glad I could bring that need or desire to my current job because I think being a part of something bigger than yourself whether it's a sports team or a group of friends or a family or like a community group getting out there in your community and doing some kind of you know community work like I love going to baby to baby and I work I try to go once a week to work and help women in the Los Angeles community with you know, new mothers and things like that with what they need. And working alongside other women at Baby to Baby just feels like we're making a really cool impact. So I encourage you definitely to find that bigger team, the bigger community to serve or be a part of, because it's so necessary, I think, for human connection and it makes my life so much better. But the first beginnings I saw of that were in the military family. I was so lucky to be a part of. And then number eight, it's kind of a take on, you know, when... Life gets tough, the tough get going, whatever that saying is. When I was younger, and my dad looked at me when I was six and was like, like, you know those moments in your life you really remember? There are a few that I remember before the time I was eight, and this is one of them. There's literally two. (laughs) This one was one of them. He was going off on deployment, and my sister was three. I was six. I was also very, like, just kind of, like, old for my age. I just, like, knew things that I just, like, don't know how I knew them. My family was... (laughs) always freaked out about how I was very logical and very organized. And I just always seemed older. So I think he was talking to me, who was a six-year-old, but I felt a little bit older, I think, to them. But he basically was just like, listen, you know, I'm going over here to do this. And it's really important for the squadron and our family and the country that you get to live in. And if your mom needs any help, I don't want to hear a single peep out of you that you're not going to do it. If your sister needs help, I don't want to hear a single peep out of you that you're not going to do it. I'm going to be gone and you need to help and fill in the role that I have when I'm home. And it kind of just like snapped me into like focus. Right. And it gave me a goal really young. Now, what I say that I would maybe do this to my six year old. I don't know at this point. Um, it's kind of a lot of pressure. Also explaining that, like you could maybe not come back is a little bit traumatizing for a six-year-old, but he didn't mean to, obviously. He was just trying to, to to share with me how serious it is that I get my life together. And knowing that, knowing that I didn't really have an option to be like, you know what, it's going to be really hard to show up as someone older than a six-year-old as a six-year-old, but I'm just going to not do it. Like there wasn't an option to not show up. I just had to do it. And you're just pushed into that situation and you just have to handle it. And a lot of military families go through that. A lot of the kids all have to show up in a certain way. The the wife, the spouse, whoever it is, the wife or husband who's left at home has to show up in a certain way. And no one gets to say, you know what? I don't really want to do this. No, you just have to do it. So it's like one of those things when challenges come up for me, it's easy for me not to run away from them because I just was built to not run away from them. And While that means I have to learn, I had to learn a little bit about like, okay, is this challenge worth it? Am I just challenging myself because I can? Or (laughs) is this like a useful challenge that is going to teach me something? That's one thing I had to like have to start discerning between as I got older. But I'm really happy that the foundation was laid that like a challenge arises, you face it. You don't run from it. You don't avoid it. You just get it done. And I do credit, you know, not only being in a military family, but I think it, it really is... That the responsibility is given to the oldest sibling a lot, especially if you're three, four years older than your youngest siblings, to just get your shit together. And again, you're like six or, you know, next time was eight or 12 or whatever it is that you are expected to kind of become an adult and rise to the occasion. And I'm really happy to have learned that. Again, there are some stresses that I probably need to work through in therapy <laughs> that that gave me, but also I do think overall it gave me not only perspective, but it gave me that kind of like fighter's mentality. And my mom was talking to me, like I said, this last week, and I was like, you were really kind of built for like war, weren't you? And I'm like, a little bit. (laughs) I didn't physically go myself, though, so I don't know about that. But like I was built for kind of aiding someone in that and being a solid, stable person who will show up and be reliable. And I think that's why I value reliability so much in my friends and partners. It's just something in like safety. I feel like I was called to create that in my family as much as I possibly could as a kid. So I value it so much in other people. But those are the eight things that I learned growing up in a military family, things I've brought with me through, you know, my life. And I think that a lot of people out there, if you come from a military family yourself, this might resonate with you a lot. Or if you come from a background where you just feel like you had to show up in whatever way. Of course, if you have like a single parent, a single mother, we all are called in certain ways to show up. And I'm sure that many of you can relate to this as well. But it's something I definitely wanted to share. It's something I definitely wanted to touch on because it is such a big part of my life. And I feel like I reference the military a lot, but I never really talk about like how much it affected me. Because again, my dad got out when I was like 13. So it's been 16 years now since I've been a part of that life. But it really was those formative, important years of my life that the military affected, which, you know, then affects the rest of my life. So it is something important I want to talk about. And I wanted to mention that if you are Right now, living in a military family, if you are serving in the military, how much I appreciate you and how much I know it's absolutely not easy and how much I respect what you're doing. And that's pretty much it for this episode. I cannot wait to dive more into what happened at Stagecoach. tomorrow with Maddie because it was just like kind of a shit show in the best way. It was so much fun. I've got some tea to spill. I left with 10 boyfriends, obviously. So yeah, we'll talk about that in next week's episode. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram and on TikTok at Peyton Sarton. And I will talk to y'all in the next episode.